Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Before we get into tonight's episode on the Brain Love Podcast, I just wanted to say happy anniversary to the Brain Love Podcast to me. And so if you wouldn't mind, please clap it up for the Brain Love Podcast. Thank you so much. Clap it up for you as well, because some of you come back every week to hear a new episode and I appreciate it and I appreciate it so much. I want you to please share it. Share it. Anniversary. Hey. So thank you everyone for hanging in there with me and sticking with the Brain Love Podcast and coming on every Sunday. And now without any further ado, it's time for episode number one of season two. That rhymed. All right. Oh, wait. And before we get started, just one more thing. Happy Mother's Day to all the mamas. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. Clap it up for you, too. And listen, you don't always have to be a superwoman. We are superwomen just by virtue of who we are as women. We take care of business. We take care of families. We do our jobs. We, you know, there's so many things we do to multitask. We are not one-dimensional. So you don't have to go out of your way to be a superwoman. Continue doing what you're doing and inspire the next woman y'all okay now here we go we're we're getting into the episode now hey y'all it's dr delvina i'm back for another episode another sunday night episode of the brain love podcast i'm your host of course dr delvina thomas that's t-h-o-m-a-s spelled the negro slave way slave owner way I'm down here in South Florida, you all, and um, as you know, every Sunday night at 8 p.m., I post a new episode of my Brain Love podcast. You can hear us now on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, on Pandora, on Google Podcasts, and on Apple Podcasts, along with some other platforms. I just enjoy expressing the things that I think of and uh, the information I'd like to share and disseminate with everyone who is receptive And so to those of you who have been listening for the last almost a year, man, my anniversary date for this podcast is coming up in May. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Again, you've heard me say that previously. And so tonight I have another episode and I've been, you know, spending time with the ladies. I want the women to feel empowered and uplifted and more knowledgeable when it comes to certain things. And so... Tonight, I'm talking to the women again, to the ladies and fellas who follow the podcast and listen. Please feel free to share this podcast with the women you love, whether it's your mother, your aunt, your grandmother, your niece, your cousin, your sister, your girlfriend, or your wife, or all of the above. 
So tonight I'm talking about the superwoman syndrome. And that's why you hear Miss Karen White in the background. If you guys are about my age or older, or maybe even a little younger, you remember this song, Superwoman. Check it out. So I'm discussing the superwoman syndrome because it's something that women, all women, struggle with. And I say all women because I'll break it down for you in this episode so that you understand why this is not just a black woman situation. All women suffer from this phenomenon. So if you listen to this episode, you hear me out. I'll explain to you the history behind what created the superwoman syndrome. And I'll also talk about the difference between white woman superwoman syndrome and black woman superwoman syndrome, because there is a difference. I'm a black woman, I know. So as I did a search looking for songs about superwomen or superwoman, did you know that Stevie Wonder has a song titled Superwoman? Donny Hathaway? I knew about Stevie Wonder. Donnie Hathaway has a song titled Superwoman. I'm a Donnie Hathaway fan, but I didn't realize that. Of course, you just heard in the background Karen White's Superwoman, which, by the way, Gladys Knight and Dionne Warwick and some other folks remade that. I'm pretty sure Karen White was the first to make that version of Superwoman. And, of course, Little Mo. And uh, fabulous, the rap version, there is a Superwoman by Little Mo. But the Superwoman by Little Mo, by Stevie Wonder and Donny Hathaway, that's a different type of Superwoman. It's not a Superwoman in that they're singing, she's not our Superwoman, or she doesn't want to be a Superwoman. It's an ode to a Superwoman. It's about women who are being Superwomen. And tonight I'm talking about the reasons not to feel like you have to always be a superwoman so that you all can try to reserve your emotional strength. I'm talking about not giving in to the notion that you always have to be that superwoman. Um, And so some of you may know what I'm talking about. Everyone turns to you. Everyone calls upon you when they have issues or concerns at home. When there's something happening in the family, you're the first number that they dial because, you know, maybe you're the nurse, maybe you're the doctor, the physician, maybe you're a chiropractor, and because of your science background, they say call you. Maybe you're a teacher or an educator, so they know that you must have the answer because you went to college, you have a degree, you must know. Or maybe there's a family member who has bad behaviors at school and they always call upon you to try to get them access to services. Maybe you're some sort of mental health professional, so every time there's a squabble in the family, they look for you to resolve it. Maybe you are the cook. Maybe you do a lot of cooking and you chef really well, and so they want you to cook for every family function. They want you to cook every meal for the 50 family members you all have. Maybe you're a minister or a pastor, you're a part of the clergy, and so they turn to you for consolation. 
they want you to console them every time there's an issue or a concern. Or maybe you're none of these things, but you've just lived a life and you have wisdom and insight. So they come to you for all of their woes and because they know that you can manage and you can take it and you can handle it. You always listen to everyone's problems, don't you? So they come to you, but no one ever asks you, are you broken? No one ever asks you, how are you doing? No one ever asks you, how are you managing hearing all of these challenges that all of us are experiencing around you? And so the superwoman phenomenon, this conversation, this is for you because you have difficulty in saying no. And this conversation about the superwoman is for people who did not know about the superwoman syndrome or the superwoman phenomenon. So check out this next song. I um, told you there are different songs titled Superwoman. I want you to check this next one out. So this is Superwoman by Alicia Keys. See if you can hear the words. resist singing for the better part of me just want to emphasize what Alicia Keys, what she just sang in this song. For me, this is a powerful, powerful song. And again, this is a song about not dismissing the notion of being a superwoman. This song is about being the superwoman. So I will bring it back at the end. And this is what we're going to close out on. But I just want you to Hear the lyrics of that first paragraph. Everywhere I'm turning, nothing seems complete. I stand up and I'm searching for the better part of me. I hang my head from sorrow, state of humanity. I wear it on my shoulders, got to find the strength in me. So let's talk about this, the superwoman phenomenon, right? Um, And so to look at this and to really analyze it, you really do have to consider history. I love history. I love art and I love art history. I I love I love both of those things. I should have been an art history minor when I was in an undergrad in college. I took a lot of art history classes, just not enough. I might have been one or two short from making the minor. So anyhow, you have to look at history when when we talk about a lot of um, different topics history history is um you can't you cannot forget about the timelines that people 
have experienced in their lives. And when I say people, I mean people as a group, people as individuals. History is applicable. And so if we go back to the 19th century, we know that the 15th Amendment is what granted black men the right to vote. Well, it was supposed to grant black men the right to vote. That was in 1870. And some of you are probably saying, why are you talking about men if we're talking about women? Trust me, this will come together. You'll see. So in 1870, that's 1870, the 15th amend- Amendment granted black men the right to vote. But of course, it didn't come without challenges or terror. Black men, black people around that time were being terrorized. So remember, slavery had ended. And so in place of slavery, they came up with another system, and that was the Jim Crow laws. It was a system that remained in place for nearly a freaking century, y'all. Nearly a century. If you don't know what Jim Crow, if you don't know what that is, Please look it up and read about it. Learn your history. This is American history, and this is black history. This is American history. This happened in America. So people didn't want black folks to have the right to vote. They didn't want us voting. So at the time, only white men could vote. Only white men were allowed to vote. Only white men were politicians. White women were not allowed to vote. Black folk Men and women were not allowed to vote. And so at that time of the century, of the 19th century, black men wanted to vote and white women wanted the right to vote. White women wanted legal rights, which legal rights is an oxymoron because women really didn't have many rights. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. So the system looked and said, hey, we can only do one controversial thing right now. We can only manage one thing. And that one thing we're choosing to manage, which we really don't want to do, we're doing this begrudgingly, but we'll consider allowing black men to vote. You get one or the other, black men or white women. And because of all of the killings and the murders and um, the lynchings that were occurring at the time, white women and black men who actually they all they kind of sort of used to work together, especially white women, because there were white women who were formal. It was known in society that they were abolitionists. Abolitionists are people who are anti-slavery and who worked in slavery. Remember that um, Underground Railroad for the Underground Railroad road to be a success. It wasn't just about Harriet Tubman. She also relied on folks who were along that pathway that that uh, that path that she took from the south, navigating the North Star, going up north, which previously it was just past the Mason Dixon line, so really, just going past Maryland because the Mason Dixon line is what separates Maryland from Delaware. So she just had to pass the Mason Dixon line that was in Maryland, and then folks were free. But a little later, white folks wanted to play hardball, and they moved. The line of freedom, they moved it. They said, no, 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 you got to go further north. So they sent her all, I want to say it was all the way up in Canada, but one of you historian buffs can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But initially it was the Mason-Dixon line is what you had to pass in order to, to be free, to enter the land of freedom. So they said, okay. The white women said, sure, black men, go ahead. We'll let you go first. 
So black men acquired the right to vote, which, listen, they were not really allowed to vote. Yes, they said legally they could vote, but all kinds of things went down in the South to prevent black men from voting, as it would occur later, too, once women were granted the right to vote. When women were granted the right to vote, it was for all women, black and white. But that didn't come until the 20th century. So initially, when black men were granted the right to vote, things occurred to try to deter black men from voting. Things like literacy tests, poll taxes, and other practices that were meant to disenfranchise a majority of black voters. You've heard that word a lot recently because of all of the racist acts that are occurring in America. You've heard that word disenfranchised a lot. So they created these things so that they could try to suppress the vote, so they could discourage black voters because they knew when you freed us, when we were slaves and you freed us, all that time that we were slaves, you didn't allow us to educate ourselves. You would not permit us to learn how to read. So folks who didn't sneak because, listen, you were killed, and sometimes you're, you had body parts amputated if your slave owner or slave master or the family member of the slave owner or the slave master learned that you were teaching yourself to read. So because of these literacy tests, poll taxes, and other practices like basically plain old intimidation tactics, hanging people, arson, you know, lighting houses on fire and things like that, that was meant to disenfranchise a majority of black voters. So we had Jim Crow in place for basically a century. Now, so that was in 1870. Now, mind you, white women who were abolitionists, they, uh, you know, they fought and fought and fought and helped alongside with blacks to end slavery. Slavery ended. Then came Jim Crow. During Jim Crow was 1870, the 15th Amendment, granting black men the right to vote. And around that time is when white women started their platform to try to gain voting rights. White women wanted more legal rights. Remember, I said women really didn't have rights. That's an oxymoron. So women actually fought to earn the right to vote for about 40 or 50 years. This after fighting slavery and helping to, out, uh, to outlaw that injustice, the ownership of people, who does that but white folks. So they fought and fought, and slavery was ended, and they began to work on voting rights. Now, I want to remind you that Jim Crow was a system meant to, again, disenfranchise black folks. And also it was just another form of slavery. Because if, you know, a Negro was caught walking somewhere and didn't produce this or that, they could be arrested. And there are plenty of specials that show innocent black folks being arrested and placed on the, the uh, chain gang, working the railroads for nothing. So anyway, it took another 50 years for women to earn the right to vote. The 19th Amendment is what gave women the right to vote. Now, leading up to that point, remember I said women didn't have legal rights, right? I propose that the superwoman phenomenon began 
for all women, including white women, especially for white women, because it was white women who were, and I'm sure there were some black women also, you know, helping along along the side of them, but white women were really vocal and really active and protesting, picketing, um, talking to Congress men, because at the time they were all men, trying to get them to side with them, trying to gain their support and earning the right to vote. So the superwoman phenomenon began in the 19th century, and I say that because these women didn't have legal rights. As I said, they worked for 20 years just about addressing slavery as formal abolitionists, and then they directed their attention to women's suffrage. Slavery was outlawed, and so they turned their attention to the right to vote. As I said, the rights, legal rights, that term for women is an oxymoron because in the 19th century, women had no rights. They had no rights to property, to own it, to inherit it, to purchase. They had no rights. If their husband died, the husband's brother acquired the physical property. They had no custodial rights. Custodial rights meaning no rights to their own children. Now, how about that? Isn't that kind of, that's kind of interesting to me. They had no rights to their own children because, and it's, that's in, interesting to me because when we fast forward ahead to the late 19th century, we see when men and women separate, the courts typically, typically will give custody rights to the woman. That's how it's always been. Where the father doesn't get custody, the woman usually gains custody and the father has to pay child support. So I wonder if this system that we have now was created because of the system we had previously, which was women had no rights to their own children at all. Women also could not serve on juries. They had no rights to attend any college or university. It's not until 1970, actually, that women were hired in certain occupations. Until then, around the time that I'm referencing, which is the late 19th century and the early 20th century, Women didn't have legal rights. So for about 40 to 50 years, women worked to gain the right to vote. As I stated, the 19th Amendment, which is what granted granted women the right to vote, it wasn't passed until 1920. Women were the first group to pick it outside of the White House. I just want you to know that. So things got a little got a little heated leading up to 1920. Because they felt like they were being too nice, too cordial, too ladylike, and asking for the right to vote. So they started to demand the right to vote. And what should be noted, which I think is a major factor in creating the superwoman syndrome, is that there were women, there were women who were anti-suffrage. There were women who were anti-voting rights for women. Can you believe that? Women didn't want other women to have the right to vote. Now you may ask, okay, why would a woman not support another woman? Why would women be anti-suffrage? Well, they were the more conservative religious types who feared that gender roles would become muddied. It would muddy the waters if women were given certain legal rights, like the right to vote. They felt that if women were successful in acquiring certain rights, like the right to vote, that women would not adhere to the gender roles of 
running the household, the woman's side of the household, meaning cooking, cleaning, taking care of the kids, you know, having sex with your husband and loving it all the time. So they felt these conservative religious women, they were anti-suffrage because they thought that women would move away, further away from their own, their gender roles, and that they would become masculine and they would want to be the men and they would want to do too many things. If we gave them the right to vote, they would push it and want other things. And, you know, around that time there were, or there was propaganda that showed men alone with crying children, showed uh, a, a, a woman walking away from the home, leaving the man with the children. Propaganda showed men washing clothing on scrub boards. So you see the women of the suffrage then felt compelled to show that they could successfully do it all, that they could be wives, bear, conceive, and raise children, attend school, get a formal education, work outside the home, and still have time to follow politics, become informed, and be an informed voter to vote. They wanted to prove these suffrage women, they wanted to show the anti-suffrage folks, the men and the women who are anti-suffrage, that they could manage and do all things. And so it is my proposition that that's where the superwoman phenomenon was conceived. It was conceived during the suffrage, during this time period of like 1870 to up to 1920, and even past that. because So once women gained the right to vote, they earned other legal rights. You know, they started attending colleges and schools and becoming more educated. And some of them convinced their husbands to allow them to work outside of the homes. And so they had to still be able to do that was like a condition of granting them these. The ability to do these other things, a condition was you still have to cook dinner. You still have to cook and clean. You still have to get the kids ready for school. You still have to help the kids with homework. You still have to make love to me. You still have to do all of these things. So I believe the superwoman phenomenon was created in the late 19th century, the early 20th century. Let me know what you guys think about that. You know, get on one of these podcast platforms and um, and rate this show, rate this episode. You can rate the entire podcast, but rate this episode. Give me stars, comment, tell me what you think about what I'm saying, that the superwoman phenomenon began with the suffrage period. It really makes sense to me. Now, earlier in the episode, I mentioned that white women and black women have a different type of superwoman phenomenon. There's a different type of superwoman syndrome. And I think it's obvious to many people, probably even to white women who are listening to this, this episode and obvious to blacks, men and women that the struggle is different. And if you talk to a white woman who has some, some insight (laughs) and who's well aware, they know that they don't get treated the way that a black woman gets treated in America, the same way a a white man knows that he is not treated the same as a black man in general, right? So first of all, black women, we have a long history of being mistreated, of being discounted. We have a history, it's documented, 
of being raped while we were slaves. We were raped, and a lot of us conceived from these forceful acts. A lot of us conceived children from these forceful acts. And so black women, the degradation, the abuse, it goes back centuries. And when you compile that with other challenges in our timeline, like I mentioned, 100 years of Jim Crow, that system, seeing your brothers and uncles and fathers and things like that arrested for no reason at all, which is happening current day, right? We know that there is a prison system, uh, an industrial prison system that pipeline from schools to prisons that exists in our black community, not in the white community. So when you see these types of things and when they saw them in the early 19th century and the ninth, I'm sorry, and the early 20th century, I meant to say, like the early 1900s and throughout the 20th century, which is the 1900s, seeing all these things is traumatizing. So you're bearing, you're coping and trying to manage with situations that your counterpart, white women, don't have to cope with or bear. Seeing black men murdered for no reason, seeing white, uh, black women murdered for no reason, seeing our brothers and sisters be charged with frivolous crimes and go to prison for 20, 30, and 50 years, or to get life with no chance for parole when, you know, a white person committed the same crime and does 15 years. You know, these are just examples of all of the inequities that exist in America. So I don't think I have to belabor or go on and talk about the differences between being a black woman in comparison to being a, a white woman in America. I think you guys get it. So the stressors are different. It, hit, it hits home a different way. A white person seeing George Floyd murdered on TV, and I'm not saying white people weren't traumatized by it and they weren't hurt by it, but I think it, it stung a little different for black folks, for a black mama watching this black man suffocate and be choked out by this white police officer in broad daylight for the whole world, really, for the whole world to see. It stings just a little differently, and especially after other folks have already been killed. Trayvon Martin, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Philando Castro. So it's, it's, it's a lot different. It stings differently for the black community than it does for the majority. But as I stated previously, we all, we as women, we all carry the burden of trying to work within our gender role and also work outside of the home. And in addition to that, it's challenged by other factors, all of which you just heard me describe. Now, we all feel some sort of stress. You know, stress is a feeling of emotional or physical tension. It can come from any event. Anything can make you stressed. Any thought can make you feel stressed or make you feel frustrated, even angry or anxious or nervous. So stress really is the body's reaction to a challenge. And stress can occur for short periods of time. It can, it can occur for long periods of time or 
we call that chronic stress. It can occur for long periods, like the traumas that black people have been experienced throughout the years. Those are transgenerational traumas if it's occurring in your family. They're historical traumas. As a group, we see this and we share this com- these commonalities. So it's also historical traumas. So these types of things can create stress for a person if they are not adapt in coping and not allowing it to, ab- to be absorbed by their soul and their spirit. And of course, you guys know, you've heard me say this before, that stress can be positive, stress can be negative. When it helps you avoid danger or meet a deadline, obviously stress is positive stress. You know, stress helps you to get prepared. It prepares you for the battle. But when it's chronic stress over time, you're stressed and not being able to pay your bills because you don't have a job that pays you enough money to pay your bills timely every month. And so every month you're getting an eviction notice or a threatening letter from the gas and electric company, then that can create a chronic, a chronic stress, a stress that's long lasting. And that wears and tears on your body. It causes things like it elevates the blood pressure. It can also cause elevations in your blood sugar. It can reduce your immune system's response to diseases and infections and um, exposure to those things. So you may not be able to fight off colds and other viruses and bacteria and and things like that as well as you could have if it weren't for that stress. And so someone asked me before, well, is the superwoman syndrome, is it stress? So there's a superwoman, a modern-day superwoman syndrome that is um, specific to black women. It has five components. I don't, I don't consider this superwoman syndrome to be a type of stress. I don't think it's that. I think it's a maladaptive way of coping. Because when you ask yourself, why do you feel you have to do all those things that you're doing to prove that you can do it? Someone would say, because I don't want to think, someone to think that I'm weak. So you're coping by trying to do all of these things. And by trying to do all of these things, that's what makes the stress. That's what creates the stress. So allow me to explain to you or share with you what has been called the brown, black, modern-day superwoman syndrome. The first thing is that the black woman feels an obligation to present a pillar of strength or an image of strength, that she is strong physically and mentally and she can do all things and that she will not falter. She is not weak. That is the image she wants to portray constantly. The second part is that she can't show any emotions. She's obligated to suppress her emotions because she feels like she cannot show weakness. Showing emotions is the same thing as showing your weakness. Black women don't allow others to help them. They resist being vulnerable or showing how they feel. So see, that goes along with suppressing emotions, and they don't want anyone to know that they need help. They also feel that they have to always succeed against odds. They have to overcome. They have to make it. They have to do this. They have to succeed against odds. And the last thing is they put others before themselves. It's not about themselves, and I have a lot of patients who do this. Everything is about everyone else in their family, their kids, their husband. Well, sometimes it ain't the husband, but the kids, 
the parents, the nieces, nephews, the aunts, the uncles, everyone else comes first. By the time they deal with everyone else, they're pretty much tapped out. Their emotional bank has been overdrawn. They have nothing left for themselves. So see, for me, I see this as a maladaptive way of coping in life. So that leads me right back to that song by Alicia Keys, Superwoman. <sighs> I want to play it, but I want to, I want to recite the words first because I think a lot of us, a lot of you, we all have felt this way. Everywhere I'm turning, nothing seems complete. I stand up and I'm searching for the better part of me. I hang my head from sorrow, state of humanity. I wear it on my shoulders. Gotta find the strength in me. Then she says, I'm a superwoman. Yes, I am. Even when I'm a mess, I still put on a vest with an S on my chest, right? There's that obligation to feel. You have to present an image of strength. She's saying it in the song. Then she says, for all the mothers fighting for better days to come and all my women, all the women sitting here trying to come home before the sun and all my sisters coming together say, yes, I will. Yes, I can. I like that part because it's basically saying to stay, stay confident, stay hopeful is what that's saying. It's just telling you to be hopeful. Then she goes on to say, when I'm breaking down and I can't be found and I start to get weak because no one knows me underneath these clothes, but I can fly. We can fly. So see, she's basically saying when I'm breaking down and I can't be found and I start to get weak because no one knows. So again, that's the obligation to suppress emotions. And it's also the other piece to that is the third part of the syndrome, which is resisting vulnerability or asking others for help. Because when you get weak, when you're a mess, why not ask for help? Right? And she says, because no one knows me underneath these clothes. No one has seen her vulnerable, is what she's saying. No one has seen her vulnerable. No one. And that's what I'm getting from that as well. And here's the song again. I actually love this song. I love the words. And I want you guys to take off the cape, take off the S on your chest. Allow yourself to express yourself. Let people know when you're drowning, man. Yeah. Everywhere I'm turning, nothing seems complete. For the better part of me second but check the hooks
Ladies, I want you to take care of yourselves. Say no, say no, say no. Begin to say no more. Stop giving people everything they ask for. Save something for you. Save something for yourself. And you guys know, if you listen to my podcast on a regular basis, you know what brain love stands for. It stands for balance. That B stands for balance. I'm not going to go through the acronym because you hear it at the end of this, this, at the end of every episode, you hear me break down the meaning of brain love. Hopefully you'll listen to it this time. You'll listen to the end so you can be reminded of how to live your life in a healthy manner. The first letter is B for balance. You got to have balance. You got to say no. You can't say yes to everything. And one of the letters is about negative people. Cutting out the negative people in your life. Those are the folks who don't want you to say no or don't allow you to say no. Because they want every piece of you. They want all your strength. They want all your energy, all of your spirit. You got to tell those people no, man. Don't let them tap you out. It's not worth it. So you don't have to live a life of this superwoman syndrome, this superwoman phenomenon. You don't have to do it. You can move away from that. You can ask for help. You can allow people to help you. That's all you got to do. Allow people to help you and let people know when you're tired. Say, listen, I'm tired. I'm tired. (laughs) I can't do this too. I got to tell you no, sis, this time. Maybe next time I can help you out, let me know. But this time I got to tell you no. All right, man. All right, y'all. I appreciate you getting on the couch with me again. I'm so happy you got on the couch and you listened to me break down this superwoman syndrome and phenomenon. Just remember... You can do this. You can do life. Life doesn't have to take you all the way out, man. We're supposed to live, not live to pay bills, not live to be miserable. We're supposed to enjoy life. We got to enjoy it. We have to allow ourselves to live and to enjoy the smells out here, enjoy the taste of different things, enjoy the energy of being in different places, If you've never been out on the West Coast, go to the West Coast. If you've never been up to the northeastern states, to New England, go up north. Go somewhere other than Florida and Georgia. If you haven't been to Central America, go to Oklahoma. Go to Kansas. Go to North Dakota and South Dakota. You know, explore America. Give yourself a chance to to be in the moment. We call that being mindful. And, of course, get out of this country. I almost said racist-ass country. I'm not going to do it like that. But get out of the country and explore other places. I'm telling you, I promise you, when you go to other places and you just just vibe, you just sit and chill and feel their, their energy, it just makes you feel different. It's a really a, it's a, a, an effective way to reset, to start over, reset your brain, put away all of the previous stressors and start all over again. So anyhow, thank you very much, you guys, for um, taking the time to listen to me 
each week. If you don't listen on Sunday night when it, it drops, I know that you listen later because I, I see it. I see it in my my uh, my uh, analysis. I see it in the numbers. I see the I see the support. So I appreciate you. Please rate the podcast. If you want to talk about an episode, just talk about an episode. If you want to talk about the podcast in general, rate it. Give me stars and tell me what you like and what you dislike. And also tell me what you'd like to hear more of. I have some good episodes coming up soon. I have an episode coming up about weight loss and weight management, particularly weight loss surgeries. I'll also be talking to a gentleman who states that he turned his life over to Christ and was able to resolve or end his homosexuality, his homosexual lifestyle. He turned his life over to Christ and was no longer a lover of men. He was no longer into men because of giving his life to Christ. He's married to a woman now, but he's going to tell his story. Man, whew, his story is so full of you. Have, you have to be ready for this this next interview. And so I just got some good stuff coming up for you. All righty. So share my podcast with the next person. Let them know to check me out and to follow. And you guys will hear from me again next Sunday. God willing. All right, everybody say brain love. These days, it's harder than ever to stand out from the crowd. And it's even harder to get paid for the work you put online. Luckily, there's a new way to put your work out into the world. It's called Discovered. Discovered is a new digital platform and social network where creatives share their projects to new audiences and earn more money from their work than any other platform. Ready to get out there? Visit discovered.tv today. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need It's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.